And we come with hearts that have faith that you want to speak to us and make us more like you. So come and teach us and train us and change us. Lord, we do want to say thank you that your Holy Spirit has been working. We can sense already in our gathering you've touched some people, you've broken through in different ways. We want to acknowledge your presence, Holy Spirit, and let you know that we welcome you much more than listening to some kind of good talk or something that might inspire. We want to encounter the living God, so Holy Spirit, have at us. Have at us. We come to this place to meet with you. Thank you, Lord. So if amen means hang up the phone, I'll just say, Lord, uh, hang out because we're not hanging up. <laughs> Do you ever think when you say amen, it's like bye and you got to walk away? It's like, no, we'll just leave the phone off the hook. Oh, they don't do that, and you don't know the hook anymore because you guys are all young. Um, we'll, keep, we'll keep it on speaker. Um, does anyone know what a phone hook is? Yay! <laughs> Some elders. Have you, see, have you seen the video where they have the, the um, people under 40, no, they're probably teens, trying to dial a phone and figure out, have you seen that video? And they have no idea, how does this thing work? <laughs> That's good, because change is happening. Change is good. I'm glad that I don't dial that rotary thing, because I was cursing the people that had, was it the zero in their number, where you had to go all the way around and then wait for it to come back? Do you, do you remember what I... I was like, dang these people with the zeros. Why can't you use nines? You know? <laughs> well, now if you don't have like millisecond access, you're like, oh, what's wrong with this thing? Okay, but that's not why we're here. I don't know why I went there. This could be bad. So Lord, help me too to stay on focus. Transformation is the topic. We've been talking about um, walking with Emmanuel, how God is with us. We went all the way back to Christmas time walking with the Lord and what, what that looks like, what we can do, what our part is, but uh, his presence with us and how that impacts everything. Oh, that's a cool picture. It worked out well. Yeah, so, so the, kind of the next phase in that talk really makes sense is about growing spiritually. Uh, and here's a picture of growing spiritually. Uh, I am the caterpillar and I'd like to be the butterfly. Does anyone want to be the butterfly? I mean, if you didn't, it's possible you don't know. This is the, a classic, maybe the classic picture of being born again in the Bible. A picture to describe that is the idea of a complete metamorphosis. Something that was a, a worm, basically, goes into a tomb and dies and comes alive again as a butterfly. That's a picture of new birth. If you didn't know, you can keep that in mind. If, if, by the, this was free too. If you didn't know, all of, all of creation declares the glory of God. He is, you don't have to know how to read to see what God has to say. You can go outside and look at a butterfly and go, oh, that's how the kingdom of God works. All over the world. All through creation. Creation is giving glory. Michelle, hi. Michelle goes here from, I don't even know, where do you live now? Alabama, Arkansas, where? Arkansas. Oh, you're embarrassed? We love you, Michelle. We love you, Michelle. Good to see you. Maria with you. She just, I'm sorry to embarrass you. Just 
I saw your face, I was excited. She's a part of our congregation and moved somewhere to the south. So the glory of God's in the south now. Back to, back to what we're talking about. So listen, Jesus shows up and he makes an announcement of the availability of the kingdom of God. You understand that? That's, that's how it, it worked out. He showed up on the scene and he began saying, Everybody, the time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. You better stop the direction you were going, turn around and go this direction, believe this good news. The kingdom of God is available to you now. He announced it. He also described what the kingdom of God is like. When we read the Gospels, we see over and over Jesus saying, well, the kingdom of God is like this. Uh, it's, it's like, well, I won't go there because I don't have time. But there's just lots of stories about what the kingdom of God is like. That's the point. He announced it. He taught all about it. And then he, he showed people the kingdom of God. One way was by his own character. He was the most loving, kind, generous, gentle, powerful, compassionate, loving person that has ever existed. The smartest guy that ever existed. I don't know if you think about Jesus as smart. Long before a guy named Albert Einstein was born and figured out the theory of relativity, E equals mc squared, right? You all know that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Long before that, Jesus was using E equals mc squared to make water turn into wine. Oh, you got silent, like, what? <laughs> Jesus understood that energy and matter are related, and if you do the right kind of power, you can do amazing things with matter. Did you know that? I mean, he walked on water. He could suspend gravity. He was really smart. He created it all. He knew about all of it. I feel like I just lost you around that last corner. So I'll come back, get back on the boat if you fell off. We'll talk about, you, we're not going to do relativity theory today, so don't worry. Just Jesus is smart, that was the point that I lost it. Okay, so he showed with his character what the kingdom of God is like. He announced it, said it's available, taught what it looked like, demonstrated it. Talked about how in this kingdom, sickness has nothing on you, so he went and healed the sick people. In fact, he'd raise them from the dead if he ran into dead people. Sometimes, not always. Kingdom of God. Powerful, wonderful. And we sometimes use the word salvation to describe what it's like to come into the kingdom of God. So you know, are you saved, right? You know that language. And one of, one of the important features of salvation is that Jesus teaches and the word of God teaches this promise. Included in salvation is that people who enter the kingdom can start to become like people of the kingdom or like Jesus. I'm looking at the notes to see, did I write that somewhere? God's promise of salvation includes the promise of becoming like Jesus. That's how I said it in your notes. That's why I looked so lost for a second. Like, where'd he go? Um, listen to some scriptures. Ezekiel, this is Old Testament. Ezekiel, the prophet wrote of the coming of the Messiah, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove that old heart that's like stone. I'll give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. The things that I've instructed you in how to live, kingdom life, 
the law of Moses for these folks. I'm going to actually write it in your heart. I'm going to change you from the heart out. I really, in your notes, I should have referenced uh, the, the really astounding prophecy of Jeremiah. Um, you might want to write that down. Jeremiah 31, 33. Some of you know this already. But Jeremiah says, This is the covenant that I'm going to make with the house of Israel. At that time, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. Um, Paul in Romans says this, we know that in all things, you, you know the first part, you might not know the second. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Why? Because those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Salvation includes becoming more and more like Jesus. And if you've seen Jesus, that's a really good news. You'd like to be like him. He's amazing. I mean, can you imagine when his executioners cruelly beat him, drove spikes through his, probably his wrists, the scientists tell us, to a cross. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I want you to know that was not forced out of him. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That was completely natural for Jesus. It would have been unnatural for Jesus to curse them. Now, it would be natural for us to curse the person who's persecuting us. Jesus says, in my kingdom, the promise of God, all through the Bible, including the words of Jesus, say, in my kingdom, you can become the kind of person who will have a heart that blesses those who persecute you. Because you understand that in the kingdom of God, even the persecuted are among those counted blessed. Because it's an upside down kingdom. You remember those words he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. The ones who everyone thinks, oh, they're poor. They have nothing going for them. He said, actually, if you're in the kingdom and you're in that state, you're blessed. And, you get to, and it's not just words, it's real. In the kingdom of God, you can be blessed. So that's all going on in salvation. Um, uh, another, another, I'm just trying to hit a bunch of scripture to, to build this, this thought up in our mind that, that our destiny, our plan, the hope, the promise of transformation is all through the Bible. So another one is 2 Corinthians. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amazing promise. You, in Christ, can become the righteousness of of God, not just in some kind of legal way that's written on a piece of paper somewhere, but in actuality where you become a righteous person because he changes you from the inside out. Another one in the New Living Translation, Ephesians. We read this together about the church a couple weeks ago, I think, or maybe a week ago. Instead, we who will speak the truth in love are growing in every way to be more and more like Christ. It's all through the Bible. He's the head of the body of the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. If you lost me because that was a long sentence, just get the last words, full of love. Because that's probably the best description of the character of Jesus and the character of people that are growing into maturity like Christ. And Jesus said, this is so true, that when people who don't know me yet 
see how you love each other, they'll know that I've changed your life and they'll know about me by the way you love each other. What an incredible promise. Is that not cool? And I, I see that in sometimes amongst you. You see that sometimes? The, the way you guys love each other. It's sometimes profound. So that's part of the process. It's, a, well, it's part of the promise, I'm trying to say. Um, the promise of the kingdom, the promise of salvation, is that that same heart can be formed in us too. Really remarkable. Now, that is not, by the way, behavior modification. See, it's not behavior modification that Jesus blesses those who persecute him. It's heart transformation. And the promise is that you and I, coming into this kingdom, putting our faith in Jesus, receiving this thing called salvation, can have our hearts so transformed that we no longer... That we're just so different that our behavior changes. If your heart changes, your behavior changes. Another way that Jesus would talk about this, in, in that Sermon on the Mount, he said, you know, you, you, you heard the rule that said uh, you shouldn't murder anyone. And everyone goes, yeah, you shouldn't murder anyone. And the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, could say, we didn't murder anyone. I guess we're good. I guess we must be righteous because we didn't murder anyone. And Jesus said, sorry, you can have a murderous heart even though you never had a good opportunity to kill someone. You can have a heart that hates, and that's what I'm looking at. But, conversely, if you have a heart that doesn't hate, that loves, you'll never murder anyone. He said, you, you, you can't commit adultery. Pharisees say, I'm good, I never slept with her. Well, you look like you wanted to sleep with her with your eyes. In fact, lust is... I want you so bad that if I get the opportunity, I'm going to take you. But Jesus said, if you're in the kingdom, your heart will be so changed that you won't even lust. You're not the kind of person who would ever look at a woman that way, so you'll never commit adultery. So the act wasn't even the issue anymore. Jesus said it's about the heart. That's kind of where I'm getting to. Transformation, the promise of transformation. It's really, it's, it's good news. It's, it's really cool. But there's a promise and a process, hence the title on the top of your notes, the promise and the process of transformation. And that's what I want to emphasize for the next 10, 15 minutes or so. You good? So the reason I wanted to bring up that promise was to give us just quickly a vision for a better life, something that I want to have, something that God's promised for me when I put my faith in Christ. I can be so changed, I can be so changed that the things that I don't want to do won't naturally flow out of me. I'll be the kind of person who naturally does good things. That's, that's good news. Some of you have experienced this, by the way. I'll hear people say, right after, right after they've given their life to Jesus, right after that suddenly the music they listened to before, the week before, doesn't feel right, and they don't want it. Anyone have that happen? So, oh, wow, lots of you. Heart transformation. You didn't do anything about it, but suddenly what you used to like, you're like, oh. And suddenly what you didn't used to like, you love. I want to be with God's people. I love worshiping Him. Oh, I love His presence. That book that I never understood before, I open it now and I find life in it. 
I love to get together with those other crazy believer people in those meetings at their houses or whatever. I, I, I don't, what happened to me? I've become one of them. You know, do you remember that feeling like, oh no, I became one of them. You're like, yeah. <laughs> so, the, I, I wrote this in your notes, I'll just read it. The process of transformation involves our active cooperation with God's grace in our life. The process of transformation involves our active cooperation with God's grace in our life. Uh, a guy named John Wimber, you'll hear me mention him a lot because he was really the first leader of the vineyard movement of churches, and we're a vineyard church. He wrote this in, in a book that, you know how I give you book recommendations? Here's a great book that I have never read until this week called Power Points. It's all about spiritual growth, maturing in Christ. Power Points. Out of print, but you can find it used. Great study. So he wrote this, that spiritual growth is a product of the initiating, empowering work of the Holy Spirit and our active cooperation. He engages our minds, our wills, that part of you that lets you make decisions. The part of you that's made in the image of God, you get to decide. Your wills, our emotions, and he expects us to respond. I better back up and read that again because I interrupted myself. He engages our minds, wills, and emotions, and he expects us to respond if either divine initiation or human response is missing, we will not grow, and we stay like the worm in this picture here. Well, not completely, because what I just said got me in trouble. Did you, did you people that know the Bible already went, wait a second, because I just accidentally stepped into the controversy of faith versus works. You all know that one. Big, big, sticky, confusing controversy in the church since the days of Christianity began. So, might as well wait in. <laughs> so, let me just give you a, a thought and wade into some scripture. If I want... I just remembered a video I saw. I saw a video a YouTube video of some of you at some kind of class where you were learning to paint landscapes, it looks like. But I won't tell about that story. But I saw that. <laughs> There's an end to that story. Anyway, I saw some people that didn't look like artists. Are you guys artists? You are, are you? You did pretty good, though, John. So you can, I could, go sign up for a class to learn how to paint happy trees. <laughs> And happy clouds, you know, you've seen that, right, on TV? Or do they do TV anymore? YouTube, I guess. Uh, I could take the class, I could pay the fee, I could go to the teacher, I could get the material, and I could learn how to paint a landscape. I could learn how to mix the blues and make the sky and, and um, get the right color white and make the puffy, happy clouds and do a tree. Now, I might not be a good artist, but there'd be no question that I was a student learning to paint landscapes. You have that in you. I, I've told you many times I have a degree in computer science. 
When I was in high school, I knew zero about computers, but wanted to see if I could get a, de a degree and become a computer programmer. So I went to school. I registered. I paid the fee. I went to the classes. I saw the teacher. I listened to the lectures. I did what they said. I learned what computer programming was, and I learned how to do it. And lo and behold, after a while, I became a computer programmer. I changed. You have it in you to change. Okay, so that's the human side of the process, and I'm going to talk about that more. I wanted you to have that in your mind, but let's just, let's just wade into this controversy just a little bit. You good with that? So salvation is often and correctly put in terms of Jesus plus nothing, right? It's very clear through the Bible that salvation is by grace, through faith, not of works. It's a free gift. I have a great chasm separating me and God. I cannot bridge that chasm no matter what I do. I can't reach some kind of spiritual mojo through meditation or good works or anything. I can't get there. I need God to reach to me. That's called grace. It's free salvation. No process on my part. Salvation is free. It's completely by God. Paul really cared about this. wrote a whole letter called Romans. Book of Romans details this. In the fourth chapter, he gets into it and says, let's talk about this thing, about faith and righteousness. He said, you know, Abraham, our father, he was declared righteous when he believed in God. The Bible says God, Abraham believed what God asked him to do, what God said to him. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him, or credited to him, or if you're really old, imputed to him for righteousness. And then Paul says, well, was it before he did anything or after? Not, be, not after, but before. It was a free gift. Salvation is free. Let the church not be confused about that. You cannot earn salvation. Okay, so I, I would not say that, and that's, I'm getting into a controversy. Because, well, do I have anything in the process of having salvation worked out in my life? Let's look at a verse. Ephesians 2, it is by grace. This is one of the ones that says it's apart from works, okay? It is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, right? Free gift of salvation. And then the next sentence talks about how that works out in our lives now. For we are God's workmanship, not our workmanship. We are God's workmanship created in Christ to do good works. Uh-oh. To do good works which were prepared beforehand in advance for us to do. Living a life of grace does not equal living a life of apathy. It doesn't equal a life of apathy regarding our transformation into Christ-likeness. If the grace of God is in my life, it will change me. Some of the evidence will be I'll start to do good works. I don't do good works to get saved. If I've received salvation, I will start to do good works. This is important. Let me just read another really important scripture. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation. Grace brings salvation. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us... That if we believe that the punishment of our sins was put on Jesus on the cross, then we can die and go to heaven. Is that what it says? See, what I said was true. 
but it's not the whole truth. And there is some possibility <laughs> that you have heard the message that sometimes taught that the whole truth and the only truth and the only thing that matters is if you will pray the right prayer and attest to the right set of beliefs, that that means when you get to heaven, the books will be open, and it's like accounting. They'll look and see, oh, well, you got a credit on your account from Jesus' work, and now you're safe, so you get to come to heaven, and that's all that's important. And there's, there's truth to that, actually. Kind of truth. But it's not the whole truth. And if you don't have the whole truth, what do you have? Half-truths can be lies. Oh, you guys got all serious as you're listening. Okay, what does it say? The grace of God that brings salvation teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. You know that grace is powerfully active in your life to teach you? It teaches you. Grace that brings salvation teaches you to say no. Have you ever said no to ungodliness? Do you know when you're, you're watching that video, you can stand up and say no and shut it off. Because the grace of God that brings you to salvation teaches you to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions. The grace of God that brings salvation teaches you to live self-controlled lives. Now that sounds like a fruit of the Spirit. The grace of God, the grace that's freely given, the grace of salvation teaches you to live upright and godly lives in this present age while we're waiting for Jesus to return. So grace, another way to say this, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort. It's not opposed to earning. And probably the most famous place in Scripture this is dealt with is in James's writing. Now listen, are you still with me? Because I went all teachy on you. You guys are good students today? Okay. When Martin Luther, in the 16th century, long time ago now, discovered he was a Catholic priest and was trying to work his way into salvation. And when he discovered that famous scripture, the just will live by faith. And he read Romans, that righteousness is by faith. He had this great discovery. He was so free to receive salvation without any works that he didn't even want James to be in the Bible anymore because of what I'm about to read. That's how controversial this was. James says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs. What good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, well, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. That's what James said. See, he saw the two working together. Another place, Paul writing. Listen to what Paul says about the grace of God in his life. I am the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace was not without effect. Remember, I'm saying grace is not opposed to effort. Grace doesn't equal apathy. Listen to the next sentence. His grace was not without effect. I worked harder than all of them, yet not I. 
the grace of God that was with me. Okay? Grace causes us to get to work. But it's not earning anything. And this, uh, the reason I'm spending time like this is because this puzzles a lot of people. It really does. It feels like it's truths that are opposed to each other, but it's really not. It's truths that work together. If you've come to Christ, you've been saved freely. Jesus' blood has washed away your sins. You have a salvation now, but you get to work it out, and you get to play a part in it. And in fact, you must. You must get to work. But not to earn anything. But you get to work in conjunction with God. So listen to this definition of discipleship. The process I'm talking about is called discipleship. Have you heard the word disciple? The disciples of Jesus. Maybe you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus. I hope you do. If you're not a disciple of Jesus, let me go back to the beginning where I said that Jesus came, announcing a kingdom, saying you could enter it now. And then he said, follow me, which means be my disciple. And you can live this life now. Follow me. So Jesus said, follow me. A disciple by definition, or an apprentice, according to a great, great man of God from our time. He, he Dallas Willard, um, Man, I can't, I can't encourage you to read him enough. His, his thoughts, his articles are so helpful. Um, but anyway, he, he says a disciple or apprentice is simply someone who has decided to be with another person under appropriate conditions in order to become capable of doing what that person does or to become what that person is. Isn't that what an electrician apprentice is? See, if I could say, oh, I wish I could paint, but never take the class, pick up the paintbrush, ask the teacher what to do, everything necessary for me to be a painter could be there, but if I don't go and pick up the brush, I'm not going to paint. And you're going to say, I'm not sure you're a student of the painter, Ron. Uh, it doesn't look like you are. Maybe you want to be, but you haven't done it yet. You need to repent and believe the good news. You can paint. silent in here. I think you're thinking this is good. So Jesus teaches a parable about discipleship. He's, and he says this, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Next sentence, a student is not above his teacher, but everyone who's fully trained will be like his teacher. In other words, if you choose a blind man to be your teacher, guess what you'll be like? Like a blind man. So choose wisely, because you become like your teacher. He's recommending, choose me as your teacher. Follow me, because if you follow a blind man, you'll do just like he does, and you'll fall into the pit too. It, the, the fact is, you and I are all someone's disciples. We learn to live by learning from someone else. We all do. We're all someone's disciples. Even if you're an American, you have the idea, well, I'm a self-made man. You learned that from someone else. You didn't make that up. You heard someone say that. And that's why you think that's what you are, but you're not. You're a disciple. You're a learner. I am suggesting that we be disciples of Jesus. And to be a disciple is to, to learn from him and to obey him. Jesus 
Here's another example. When he was about to be crucified, wash his disciples' feet. You've heard the story, so I won't go to the back of it and begin it again. He put on his clothes, returned to his place, and he says, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher, rabbi, Lord. That's right, because that's what I am. Now, I, your Lord and teacher, now that I've washed your feet, you also should wash another's feet. I've set an example that you should do as I have done. That's discipleship. Jesus sets an example that we who are his disciples should do as he has done. We are to, as a disciple, learn and obey what Jesus teaches. So he told his apostles, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore you go and make disciples. What should you do? Verse 20, teaching them to obey everything I've taught you. Um, so just let me just possibly shift some thinking in your brains. You might not be here, but I, I'm told that there are some people who think you can be a Christian without ever following Christ. You can be a Christian without ever following Christ. Doesn't that sound crazy? That's like being a painter without ever painting. To follow Christ is to be a disciple. In the Bible, you don't see anything such as Christianity without discipleship. And you can see I'm, 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 I'm in that kind of, oh, it's sticky. Are you saying that I'm not saved if I'm not doing good works? No. But you might want to ask yourself. I'm told that there are some people who believe the only important thing is to go to a certain meeting where the preacher says, if you will say this prayer with me, this is free, you don't have to do anything, you get to go to heaven when you die, and you don't have to change anything. In fact, if you want to live like the devil, just go for it, because you got your card punched, so when the train comes, you can get on the train, and you get to go to heaven, and we'll call you a Christian. I don't think that's what, what we've been reading in the Bible teaches. What do you think? So watch this. Now, now I'm going to get in your face. <laughs> Some of us are not becoming Christ-like because we've never intended to. Whoa. Some of us are not becoming like Jesus because we never intended to. Any more than I never intended really to go to the art class. Never decided to. That's kind of heavy, huh? Remember last week I talked about Amazon? The idea that we've got this great system now where we can have producers and consumers kind of come together to do an exchange and, and there's no relationship and nothing, ever, they, and, but they get the stuff, right? And that sometimes the church looks like that kind of arrangement where people who want to get something found out there's a group of people who put their money together and built a building and they have um, laser lights with great bands and uh, it's an inspirational speaker, inspirational music. You can come. Uh, you can receive, and they can come, and they can give, and you never even have to meet each other, and you don't have to do really anything, but you come, and you consume, and they come, and they produce, and we call it church. 
But there's never any expectation that you would be a disciple who's becoming like Jesus. That's actually happening in our world today. And that's why we can do a poll and find out in America that there's, I don't know what the number is currently, 75% say they're born-again Christians. If we're the salt of the world, do you think three-quarters of a pound of salt on a pound of meat would affect the meat? Do you think three-quarters of the population of the United States, if it were salty, would affect the nation? Or maybe we're not actually disciples. Oh, is this too heavy? Ron, go back to the good news. This is the good news. You can be like Jesus and enter into his kingdom and enjoy all the beauty of his kingdom. You can be a disciple because his spirit is at work and his grace that brings salvation has come to your life to teach you to say no to ungodliness and to learn his ways. <laughs> come follow me. Come be my disciple. So I was saying that the idea of a uh, Christian who's not a disciple is not, not a Bible belief. Can I throw another one at you? You know, it's not, Jesus never said the truth will make you free. Oh, tilt. I thought, I, in fact, it's written outside of buildings. The truth will set you free. Jesus never said that. You know what he actually said? I'll read it to you. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Truth by itself doesn't set anyone free. But if you hold to my teachings, then you're my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and then the truth will set you free. Apparently, truth doesn't set you free very much if it's not applied in your life. In fact, truth that's not applied in your life will stand in judgment over you. Whoa. Truth is good if you obey it. That's discipleship. Let's see. So, where should I go from here? I'm looking at the clock. Better land the ship. Here's my belief. There are 3.4 or 5 million people in San Diego County. Right before I had my strokes, I showed you maps of San Diego. Some of you remember that. April 15th. And I believe that you and I have been invited to be disciples of Jesus. I believe that you and I have been invited to learn from him and to obey everything he taught. I believe that. I believe that everyone in this room right now has the potential to be a disciple of Jesus who learns from him and obeys him, who's becoming like him and making other disciples, who learn from him and obey him, who are becoming like him, who learn from him and obey him and are becoming like him until San Diego is filled with the knowledge of the glory of God and our entire county worships God. 
However, if you have no intention of being a disciple, that won't happen. But you can choose to be a disciple today. Because the grace of God has come to you. Yes, he's forgiven all of your sins if you receive it freely. But more than wiping your sins away and making the ledger go into the black. <laughs> In addition to that, he wants to transform us so that we look like that one on the far right. Beautiful. Blind. I, I wonder if that just challenged any of us. You know, if you decide that you want to grow into Christ-likeness, you can. It's the promise. You have a process to play. We talk about the cost of discipleship. Ever hear that phrase? Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you better count the cost because you don't want to start and not finish, right? The cost, knowing the cost of discipleship includes knowing the cost of non-discipleship. I'll steal an example from Dallas Willard. So, you know, if you're going to buy a car, it's not just the cost to pay for the new car. It's also the cost of not getting the new car. How do you like being stuck on the freeway with a dead old vehicle? Because that's part of the cost. Cost of discipleship, cost of non-discipleship. How do you like being full of hatred, ruled by lust, out of control, ruled by fear, ruled by Satan? How do you like that? Oh, that's expensive. So Jesus said, coming into my kingdom is, is like a guy who found a treasure and said, wow, that's worth a lot. I don't even have much. I'm going to sell everything I have and buy this. He said, that's what my kingdom's like. You say, I'll sell anything to get your kingdom. I'll get rid of it all and follow you. I will choose that I want to learn from you and obey you so that I can become like you and I can learn to do the things that you did. I'd like to heal some sick people. I'd like to prophesy. I'd like to be so loving that when people persecute me, I bless them. And it's so natural that I don't even think about it. That's what a disciple does. And I can begin the process of living that life. I put in your notes, why don't you start here, Colossians chapter 3, that says, simply start like this, set your affections and your mind on things above, on the kingdom of God. Start putting your, for homework, read that section that I put in your notes there. It's all about the process of discipleship. How are we doing? Let's stand up. Took you all the way to 11.15, so... I want to end this time. If you have never invited Jesus to become Lord and King, hear these words. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart man believes unto Salvation and righteousness with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. A change of heart that says, you are now Lord. That results in a mouth that says, you're Lord and I'm not. I'm going to follow you. What you say, I will do. And if I mess up, I'm going to come back to you like I would to the teacher and say, look, I messed up my painting. What do I do? And the teacher says, oh, I can fix that for you. Let me show you how. Okay, and I keep learning. That's discipleship. 
If you've never given your life to Jesus, like I just said, why don't you call out to him right now? Jesus, I want you to be Lord. I want to enter your kingdom. Forgive me of my sins. I choose to follow you. Bring me into salvation and begin to transform me to be like Jesus himself. Oh, thank you for the joy of your kingdom. Let me live in that joy. Let the kingdom of God be upon us now. Received from the Holy Spirit. Earlier today as we were worshiping, I thought I saw in my mind's eye what looked like a heavy cloud bank above us like there is when there is morning haze that's covering the sun. And then I thought I saw light slicing through the cloud bank, slicing through into our lives as we've received the goodness and the love of God. And then I thought I saw this, that as we begin to worship more and more, that in addition to God breaking through the cloud bank, our praise out of a choice to worship God in spite of anything else, caused there to be a bursting through of the cloud bank from this side so that the light could shine through. So worship God with your life. It's okay that I'm waiting, right? I'm waiting on the Lord right now. I want to say another thing. That... um. Brother Don shared with me a word he thought he had. He's a, I consider him an elder in the body of Christ. I listen when he talks. The, in short, there are, there are some people here who have been stuck, some even in sickness, literally in their body, some in financial difficulties that they can't break through, that some in relational problems that they, they're stuck, they can't break through, and it's literally the result of words that have been spoken and believed by another person to you. Uh, that, that literally can happen, that words when they are believed and the thoughts behind them according to the Bible become strongholds that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God and need to be broken. Understand? And that you might be in this building in that place and we would like to pray over you and literally break that stronghold away so that you're no longer stuck physically in a sickness that's gone too long, emotionally in relationships that aren't working, financially. We'd like to pray that over you. That, so you want to come to the front when we end here and we'll get our prayer teams and pray over you. I'll pray over you. We'll break that thing. Let your kingdom be here, God. Let the Spirit of God encounter us. I, I, I'm going to pray something. And if you can pray it with me, what I, the words that I say, if they correspond to what's in your heart, then just you know, make it your prayer as well. Lord God, I stand before you representing at least some, if not all of us. And we say today that we intend to be your disciples. We intend to learn from Jesus. 
to hear what you taught and to obey. We intend to do that. We ask for your promise to be fulfilled in our lives that we would become real disciples that look like the teacher and that act like the teacher. That you would use us to make disciples around our county and the world till the knowledge of the glory of God covers the earth like the waters cover the sea and people everywhere know and worship Jesus. That people everywhere would know and worship Jesus until Satan and his evil ways are defeated in our world. And your glory is revealed in our world. What a party that will be. (laughs) Let it be so. Take our lives. Let them be. Separated unto thee, as the song says. Thank you.